0: Father God, you are so good. Thank you for who you are and how you're working in us today. Father, as we open up your word, God, we pray that it isn't just a time that we read some nice thoughts or that we talk about some wisdom, but God, we pray for life change in the name of Jesus. That through your Holy Spirit, we would be convicted in areas where we need to be convicted we'd be encouraged in the areas we need to be encouraged in. And God, that in all of it, that we would be drawing closer and closer to you and looking more and more like you, Father. Pray that through your Holy Spirit, we wouldn't walk out of here today looking the same, but we'd look a little bit more like your son, Jesus. God, thank you for who you are and how you're working and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, I want to start off today. A reading from Psalm 100. Psalm 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Church, that, that passage has kind of been the inspiration for this series. As we go into this season of thanksgiving, uh, of just taking some time to really thank God for everything he's given us. Because one of the things I have found in life is we so often take for granted the blessings the blessings of health, the blessings of breath in our lungs, the blessings of time, the gifts and the skills that God's given us, the gifts that uh, God has given us, our daily bread, our food, the fact that we have a roof over our heads. There's so many things we take for granted in life. And it's so important to, to realize that we have so much to praise God for. The fact that we are his, that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, that, his, that, that God is good and his love endures forever. That's some really, really good stuff. And so today, we're going to continue on talking about Thanksgiving, how to be a people of thankfulness and a people of praise. Last week, we talked about the power of praise, and it was a lot of fun talking with you and worshiping God with you last week. And today, I want to talk about something else related to thankfulness. You know, when I look back at my life, I am extremely thankful for so many seasons in my life. All right, do, you, do any of you have that where you look at your life and you're like, man, I had some really cool moments in life. I am so thankful for those. But unfortunately for me, when I look back at my life, there's kind of this disturbing trend that I see throughout my life growing up. And it's this, that I couldn't wait for blank. I couldn't wait when I was 11 to be 12. Couldn't wait to be 13. Couldn't wait to be 16 so I could drive. Couldn't wait to be 18 so I could make my own decisions. Couldn't wait to be 21 for some reasons. I couldn't wait for so many things in my life. The next phase, the next phase, the next phase. There's a quote that I heard from a popular sitcom called The Office. In the final episode, one of the characters makes this statement. He says, I wish there was a way to know that you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. I wish there was a way to know that you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. And when I heard that, it just it shook me. Like, yeah, I've, I've spent so much of my life going, I'm waiting for this, I'm waiting for that, and now I look back at some of those moments where I was extremely discontent, where I didn't like what was going on around me, I didn't like whatever it was, living at home, not having the freedom that I thought I was going to have as an adult. And then you become an adult and you're like, man, I wish I could be 14 again, minus the acne and the hormones. But, you know, besides that, so often in life, we, we find ourselves looking for the next thing, the next phase. I just wish I could have this. We, we struggle so much with contentment sometimes. And not only in, in our seasons of life, wanting the next thing, but also with our stuff. It's amazing how often we can get to this place where, man, we just never have quite enough. We always just want a little bit more, a little bit more money, a little bit bigger house, a little bit bigger car, a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. We want a different relationship, a different thing here and there. John Rockefeller, one of the most, one of the richest people that's ever lived in America. His wealth at at the time, you know, in in the early 1900s, literally his wealth per capita is bigger than any billionaire we've ever had. Bigger than Bezos or anyone else out there. John D. Rockefeller was one of the richest people ever. And he was once asked this question. They said, Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? And he responded, just a little bit more. See, unfortunately, something I have found is that the American dream, for many people, has often become a nightmare that's haunted by the monster of more. The American dream for many people is a nightmare because they have this monster of more. They can never be satisfied. Just want a little bit more. More of this, more of that. And they don't take the time to just stop and be content with what God's given them. You know, there's a lot of scriptures about this, and I'm going to run through them quickly. First Timothy 6, 6-8 says this, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Hebrews 13 says, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 6 Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Proverbs 16.8 says, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. This word contentment, the definition I like is that contentment is a state of satisfaction. It's a state of being, a state of being satisfied with what you have. You know, I notice in my kids that when I'm trying to teach them thankfulness, there's really three stages to thankfulness, right? There's gratitude, which is say thank you. We're still working on that with my kids. Sometimes we have to remind them, but it's amazing those moments when you give them something they stop and go, thank you, Daddy. Yes, good job. But there's a second part to that called contentment. right? I want my kids not just to say thank you. I want them to live out that thankfulness by doing some things. Like, for instance, I don't want to give my son an ice cream sandwich and then have him immediately eat it and go, okay, I want another one. right? I'm saying, no, no, no. Be thankful for what you have. Enjoy it. But on top of that, I also want them to, enjoy what they have i mean part of contentment is just the fact that they're enjoying the sandwich they're enjoying the treat that we give them enjoying the toy that brings me joy as a father and then the third part of thankfulness that we're going to talk about next week is called multiplication because i want my kids to be blessed to be a blessing i don't want my kids just to be blessed but i want them to be blessed and then take what however they're blessed and bless others i want them to learn to do things as simple as sharing as big as giving their life for others And so today, I want to talk about contentment, and I want to talk about where contentment comes from. Because we all have heard about the idea of contentment. We all know what it is. But I want to talk about how to grow it in your life. Where does it come from? And it starts with understanding what we have. Contentment starts by understanding what you already have. In John 1, it says this, that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything that we have is a gift from God. If you're sitting next to someone in your family right now, tell them, listen, you're a gift from God. Everything that we have is a gift from God. And how much would it change our our world, especially in the church, if we would just stop and start to see everything around us as a gift from God? If we took care of it like it was a gift from God, if we took care of our relationships and people around us, how would it change our lives if each and every day we actually saw what God has given us, whether it's the breath in our lungs, the job we go to, the car we drive, whatever it is, as a gift from God, how much would it change? There's an old hymn that reads, When upon life's billows your tempest tossed, When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Now that one I always find really interesting. It will surprise you. Because I think anytime you count your blessings, you're going to be surprised, because there's a lot of things in your life that you're not counting as a blessing. Until you actually sit down and count it. Psalm 103 says this, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me i've used this example before but i love it imagine for a moment that you are in a position where you are in a financially bad spot like you're you're a little bit behind in several different areas you got some bills that are they're that coming up here and you're so worried about it you're worried you're worried you're worried man what am i going to do and and somehow by the skin of your teeth you make it through this season you, know, you sell a few things, you do whatever you got to do, and you just barely get through it. About a week after that, then you're, you're cleaning out your house and you get into your sock drawer. And all of a sudden, in the back of your sock drawer, you feel something and you realize that there's a big wad of cash back there. In fact, it's like, you know, a few thousand dollars, it was your slush fund for, for those, those rainy days, and you completely forgot about it. And so this whole entire time, you had plenty of money to take care of everything, and you were all worried, and you had no idea the answer was sitting there in your sock drawer. How dumb would you feel? I'd feel pretty dumb. That's like something I would do. I think it's amazing how many people feel like when it comes to their blessings, like they're poor and they're destitute, like they have nothing, they've not been blessed at all. God, what's going on? I feel like you're not here. I feel like nothing's happening. But if they would actually take account for all the blessings that they have in their life, they have a few things, many things of God that are shoved back in a sock drawer that they don't realize that God has blessed them with. They don't realize how much God has given them. And I think it would change everything in our contentment and the way that we live with, with, with people around us if we would actually count our blessings and understand how much God has done for me. How much God has done for you. Psalm 143 verse 5 says this, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. How much would change in your life if you would take some time each day and just meditate on who God is? Meditate on what He's done for you, considering everything that He's done in your life. I know for me, there's so many times where I just get, I get caught up in the storms of life. I get caught up in myself. I get caught up in my own head. And it's when I stop and I meditate on what God's already done in my life that I go, "Whoo, I'm doing pretty good. Praise God. But I'll tell you what, five minutes before that, I wouldn't have said that. If you really, If I really was honest about how I felt, there's so many times where I just feel like, Oh, everything sucks. I hate this but then I stop and I meditate on who God is and what he's done for me. See, the first thing I have to do to be content, I have to understand what I have in the first place. I can't be content when I don't understand how much God has already blessed me with. The second thing is this, enjoying what we have. The second way we build contentment is by enjoying what we have. You know, I said a moment ago that contentment is a state of satisfaction. Contentment is a state of satisfaction. And a lot of times, I think we think that contentment is simply not wanting more. Like we think contentment is simply saying, okay, I have enough. I'm not going to want more. Like it's a matter of like self-control or willpower, right? Like, okay, I've got this much. I'm going to will myself to not want a fourth cookie because I've already got three. Right? That's, and that's kind of how you learn to be content, right? When you're a little kid, you have to will yourself, right? Because you want a fourth cookie. Absolutely, but your parents have taught you, you know, no, you need to be content with what you have, so you go, fine, I'm just going to enjoy the three cookies, I'm just going to will myself. But really, I want a fourth cookie, right? Mark Batterson writes this, he says, I don't believe our greatest shortcoming is not feeling bad enough about what we've done wrong. I think our greatest shortcoming is not feeling good enough about what God has done right. When we under-celebrate, we fall short of the glory of God. When we under-celebrate. See, sometimes I think we spend so much time trying to not do the wrong things. Not be selfish when we don't realize that it starts with just celebrating who God is by enjoying what he's given to us. If you look all over the Old Testament, there's so many times where God will command his people, the Israelites, to have festivals, to have feasts, to celebrate what he's done. One of my favorites is in Leviticus 23, where after the harvest, he commands a week-long festival of feasts. Even going so far as to saying, listen, you're going to have a Sabbath rest on the beginning and end of it. So it's really like a nine-day just time of not working, but there's seven days specifically that he says, listen, go crazy. It's like the command of the Lord here is, listen, thou shalt party. That's pretty cool. God says, listen, I've done so much for you. Celebrate it. Enjoy it. Have a feast. Have a party. See, the thing is, there can be a type of worship and enjoying what God has given you. There can be a type of worship of saying, listen, God's given me this. Instead of worrying about how much more of a harvest I could have had, why don't we take some time how Thanksgiving started, saying, God, you gave us this much for harvest this year, and that was more than enough. And because of that, we're going to celebrate. Thank you, God. That is what Thanksgiving is all about, is thanking God and enjoying what he's given to you. See, I think it's really hard <clears throat> I think it's really hard to be content in something that I don't enjoy. I mean, think about this for a second. Imagine I came to you and I was just bragging about how spiritual I am. And I was like, listen, I am so content. Like, I tell you what, I am so content with my golf clubs. Like, I have not wanted another golf club. I walked right past the golf store the other day, didn't even have a single desire to get a new golf club because I am just so content because I'm so holy. And you might say, well, Tim, how, how often do you golf? Never. never. <laughs> not, now, there's not much contentment in there, is there? Because it, it, really, it doesn't really mean a lot when I, I'm not using it in any way. But instead, I think contentment comes mostly when we're enjoying something, when we're around something. In the same way if I said, you know, man, I, I'm really content with my family, but I'm never around them. I like contentment is really that moment when you're enjoying and you're relishing in it. You know, for instance, when I'm, I'm raising my kids up, one of the important parts of that, like contentment in that moment is not just them not asking for more, but really contentment for my kids is them enjoying it. And I, as their father, I love to see it. That's how I know they're content when they're enjoying what I've given them. We talked a moment ago about one ice cream sandwich and not asking for a second ice cream sandwich. But the second part of contentment with my kids is, is just that moment where you go, <clears throat> how's your sandwich? And they look at you like my daughter. will be like, it's delicious. <laughs> my son has, has recently started doing this thing. He doesn't do it very often. It's, it's like a really cool moment when he does it. I don't know where he got it from. But recently, I'll ask him how something is. And he'll throw his head back. He'll close his eyes, and he'll go, it's perfect. <laughs> I don't know where he came from. It's, it's crazy. But it just blesses my heart because I know that he's enjoying the blessing that he's been given. He, he is relishing in it. And there's so many opportunities that we have to be content and relish in what God has given us. Marveling at the sunrise or the sunset enjoying my family, enjoying my marriage, enjoying my kids, enjoying the, the car that God's given me. When's the last time you drove and just like, man, I like this car. God, thank you. So often we're just we're either complaining about it or we're not doing anything. We, uh, so often we don't take the moment just go, man, these shoes are comfortable today. I like these shoes. We just don't have those moments just to go, man, God's given me this. I'm just going to enjoy it today. God, thank you, because the Bible tells us to do everything unto Him. You know, last night my wife and I went to a movie, and I and I there there was a lot of different comments that could be made on it. But what and, and because it was a Christian film, it was with some other Christians, and so it kind of you know those comments were being made because we you know we we those comments were available to be made, so we were making them. And all of a sudden, we get in the car, and I realized I just had a date night with my wife and another couple and i spent all this you know this energy to to have an amazing sitter my mom ended up watching both sets of kids theirs and and ours and just such an amazing blessing and here i was a huge portion of the night was now going to be me just whining and complaining and talking about what i didn't like and finally i just stopped and said okay honey i'm done I, i gotta stop i keep just making these negative comments i'm done making negative comments and that wasn't true But I really tried. (laughs) I said I was done. But in that moment, I was convicted. Ah, I have this amazing blessing of a date night with my wife, and I'm more focused on, yeah, let's complain about the movie. Instead of, man, that popcorn was good. (laughs) Man, there was no one in that theater, so we had the whole thing to ourselves. That was awesome. Man, how often do we stop and just enjoy what God's given us? Because the fact is, I don't know if you've noticed, but the amazing blessings in our life... I'm sure you're not this way. Maybe it's just me. But like, there's this tendency I see sometimes where people like God gives them a gift and a blessing, and they're real excited about it, but then give them some time, and eventually they don't see it as much of a blessing like they take things for granted. Anybody guilty of that at all taking things for granted? It's, it's all over our world. It's all over in the way that we live our lives. So often when, when God's blessed us with something, in the moment we're like, oh, it's great, and then give us a month, and we're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's kind of like watching the uh, uh, Del Rapids State Championship on Friday. Like after so many touchdowns, you're just like, "What's another touchdown? Who cares? Why are we even cheering? It was over at halftime." Because the thing is, so often we can get so focused on, "Oh yeah, we got so much of something," instead of, "God, there's more." You know, in the Old Testament, there was a moment where the Israelites. Complained Not a moment, many moments. But I'm focusing on one specific moment of the Israelites complaining. And they said to Moses, listen, we don't have enough food. We're in a desert. This sucks. We want to go home. Let's go back to Egypt. So God provides manna. There's many different descriptions of what manna is. But some descriptions in the Bible, there's two different descriptions. One describes it as uh, maybe a, a cake made with sweet olive oil. Another describes it as a wafer made with honey. I think of like a Texas roadhouse roll. That's not accurate, but that's what I think of. And see, they literally, I mean, before Uber Eats, before any of this stuff, they would walk outside their tent and they would have this stuff here and they'd have food, just enough for that day. Each and every day they were in the middle of a desert and they could step outside and just have their food delivered to them. Like that's pretty incredible. I wouldn't mind that today. But yet, can you believe this? At some point, they kind of got tired of the manna. They got tired of the free food that God would hand deliver to their door. And then in Numbers eleven, they say this <clears throat> We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Does anybody have a see a problem with that statement? The fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Are you kidding me? You were in slavery. You had people that would work you like dogs and could kill you or beat you at any moment. But yet, yeah, that's what the devil does a lot. A lot of times he'll go, Remember Egypt? Remember when you were in addiction? You could just drink anytime you wanted to? Remember when you could just go on the internet and look up whatever you wanted to before you decided to be pure with your eyes before the Lord? Remember when you stopped, you know, care, when you didn't really care about what you said to people and you just let off with the tongue? Anytime someone said something, you just whipped something back? Remember how much fun that was just to put someone back in their place? Remember all of that at no cost? The fact is, there was always a cost. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost also the cucumbers the melons the leeks the onions the garlic but now we have lost our appetite we never see anything but this manna we never see anything but this manna this wonderful bread from heaven that's free and dropped right in our laps and yet we can do that so often in our life. In fact is the moment we quit enjoying the taste of the manna is the moment we start getting discontent. The moment we stop relishing in it, because that's what happened. They stopped going, wow, this is free food from God. It's right here. It tastes so good. Eventually they just went, eh, it's manna. <clears throat> yeah, I go outside my tent. What's next? What's the next thing, God? How about some meat? And so often we do that in our own life. God gives us this much And eventually we consume that, we stop enjoying it, we stop relishing it, we stop worshiping him in it, and then we're like, okay, what's next? God, I'm ready for the next thing. Ready for the next marriage, I'm ready for the next relationship, I'm ready for the next car, I'm ready for the next house, I'm ready for what's next, God. Instead of taking the time to say, God, I'm enjoying this, thank you. There's a spiritual act, I believe, in worshiping God, by enjoying what he's given us. The fact is, we do this with physical things, but we also do it with people as well. I'm going to look at kind of a weird verse today. Proverbs chapter 5. The Bible says, Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. I'm going to pause there for a second. It says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Not rejoice in your young wife but rejoice in the wife of your youth. What is he saying here? See, in that day, there was a little bit of a tendency. I know it doesn't happen today, but there was a little bit of a tendency where guys or people in marriages would get to a point where they get older and then they're like, oh, let's go to something better. I know it never happens today, but the fact is it does though, doesn't it? People start to get, get discontent. They start to go, oh, what's next? They get that, they call it the seven-year itch, 15-year itch. Get to that place where it's eh not as exciting as it used to be, so I'll just move on. We do that in friendships, we do that in so many different relationships. And so here the Bible is saying, rejoice, find joy in the wife that you've been with for a long time. And it's that such good that's such good marriage advice for both parties. Husbands and wives, enjoy each other. Find joy in one another. And if you've stopped finding joy, find ways to find joy in each other continue to grow together. And the next verse, before I read the next verse, I just want to be clear. Turn to someone right now and say, listen, he's reading from the Bible. Turn to someone right now. Just remind him. Just remind him. I'm reading from the Bible here. All right, before you send me the emails. Here we go. Verse 19. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Now, I know some husbands here. I'm not going to hear another word we read today. And they're going to go home and they're going to turn to their wives and go, listen, pastor always talks about applying scripture. So let's go apply some scripture. Come on! But I love this verse for this reason. Because it's not just about gratification of, of sexual gratification, but really it's, I love this last part. May you always be captivated by her love. What is he talking about here? Enjoying each other. Enjoying each other in marriage. A lot of different ways to do that. But it's about continuing to be captivated by each other's love. If you're in a marriage, continuing to date each other, continuing to grow together, continuing to be together, continuing to find joy in each other. In fact, this is is advice for all relationships, for your friendships, for your kids, for, for just continuing to rejoice in the people that God's put in your life, continuing to enjoy them. Because the Bible says in Colossians 3, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, when I talk about enjoying things, maybe you can feel like, well, that kind of almost sounds wrong, doesn't it? I want to be clear. I'm not talking about hedonism here. I'm not talking about living for your lusts or your desires or living only by what you feel. What I'm talking about here is recognizing what God's giving you and enjoying it unto him doing everything unto Him as an act of worship. And what can happen when we really get that in our life, we can find ourselves worshiping God when we're at work, when we're going through our daily life, when we're enjoying the sunrise, when we're getting up and driving in our car, when we're just having fun with our family. We can find ourselves in those moments going, God, I'm just i going to rejoice in this. I'm enjoying this so much. Because contentment is built when we enjoy something well, whether it's an ice cream sundae or it's time with your family, time in your marriage. Something I've, I've been working on recently is, especially on days where I feel very distracted, sometimes I'll stop in my driveway and I'll put the car in park. Before I go in the house, I'll just say, God, help me to enjoy my family tonight. Help me to be present and just be there and have fun with my kids. And I find that God gives me so many more opportunities. Just this week, I had a moment like that where I prayed and said, God, would you help me to enjoy my kids better? And I was already on a bad path. My son had already had multiple things taken away. He was already kind of in that spot. Of course, what does that mean? You know, Those are the things that distract him. So, of course, he's coming up and, and doing stuff to me and doing stuff to his sister. And he keeps getting in trouble. And then he kind of calmed down. And all of a sudden, God kind of reminded me of what I'd prayed, and I kind of try—I'm trying to be more intentional now. Okay, let's let's play, let's have some fun together. And he turns to me and goes, "Dad, can we make pumpkin pie?" I'm like it's like 7:30 at night. I'm like, um, uh, "Well, you know, man, man, maybe." And he gets distracted. Okay, good. Whoo! Comes back a little while later. He came back five times and said to me, "Dad, can we make pumpkin pie?" I didn't even know. know he know. I don't know how he knows what pumpkin pie is, but I'm like. Okay, I guess we're making pumpkin pie. By now it's 8 o'clock at night, and we're making pumpkin pie together. And he's making a mess. And his mom's not home. She's going to get home and be like, what happened in this kitchen? But I tell you what, it was such an amazing moment because God reminded me just to love my son unto him and just enjoy it and worship God while I'm sitting here and dumping spices all over the counter and doing all these things and making this delicious pumpkin pie with my son and making memories fact is, we all have opportunities to enjoy what God's given us. And so often I think we lose our contentment because we stop enjoying it. It's one of the biggest encouragements I have for us as a church is enjoy what God's given you. Love it. But sometimes it's hard because our hearts aren't quite right. That's why the the final thing to to reach contentment is to have a purified heart. See, one of the reasons we struggle is because I think there's a lot of sludge built up in our hearts. For any of us that have vehicles, probably have a moment where you take it and get an oil change. Or you do it yourself. And you go and you drain out all of this old oil, this lifeblood that makes the engine run. The reality is, you could leave that oil in there, but it's not going to work well in the future. It stopped doing what it's supposed to do. It's full of contaminants and sludge, and I think the same is true in our hearts sometimes. We have all this contamination and sludge in our hearts that we just need to drain out and have an oil change of the heart and allow God to renew us and refresh us and restore us, continuing to purify us. In Philippians 4, Paul writes this. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Thank you for the money, essentially, he's saying. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. But then he makes a caveat. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He's going to show the secret right here. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. By the way, this verse gets used a lot. Normally not in the, in the context of contentment, which is kind of funny. But what he's talking about here is, no matter what happens, I can be content. Not because I'm awesome, because I'm the most holy person in the room, or because I don't have big ambitions or dreams, or because I just never want anything more. Paul was a very opinionated person. I am sure in his natural self, there were moments where he wanted things to be different. Because you read the letters to the churches, he wanted things to be different a lot with them. I can imagine in his own life. But I've learned the secret to be content in any circumstance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Galatians chapter 5. Paul says this. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. That's where discontentment comes from. It's from following the the desires of our flesh, doesn't it? For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. One of the biggest reasons that people struggle to be content is ultimately because they are are living by their flesh. They're living by what the world says. So the world says, okay, we got to get the new iPhone or get the new this or the new that. There's always this game of comparison, the monster of more. But it's when we step out of that, as God's word says, no longer living by the flesh, crucifying that daily. That we say, God, I want to live by your spirit. And suddenly things start to change. Suddenly we get some of this holy love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And can you imagine how much more content you would be if you love people so much that suddenly you didn't care as much about what's happening to you? You just want to make sure they were okay? Can you imagine how much more you would be content if you just had a joy that was present all the time, that no matter what was going on, you were just happy because of something going on inside of you, not because of what was going on outside of you? Or maybe, can you imagine how how much more content you would be if you were just so patient because God had given you the patience through his Holy Spirit, that no longer were you anxious for the next thing? Imagine how much more content you would be with life if you were just had a kindness that came from God, a goodness that came from God, a faithfulness, a gentleness. If you had a self control that just continued to monitor yourself, because through the Holy Spirit, you just you suddenly start to think about things differently. How that would change everything around us. The question then is, how do I get this? How do I become a real, really? How do I become a person of contentment? holy spirit how do i get the holy spirit it's by having a relationship with god by accepting jesus as my lord and savior admitting that his son came down and died on a cross for my sins and now he's at the right hand of the father and his spirit lives in me that's how we get it but also how do we get more filled with the holy spirit is by spending time with god by getting in your word each and every day, I want to encourage you. Getting in your word is so incredibly important because the more of God's word you have in your life, the less of the world you have in you. And second, it, it's by praying and spending time with him, asking for God to give you more and more of his Holy Spirit. And so today I just want to invite you to take a step. If you're someone who looks at your life and you're like, man, I'm just not that content right now. I want to invite you, whatever it is, we're going to pray here in a moment. I want to invite you to talk to God with me. would love to pray with you personally if you like. But second, I also invite you to do this. I would love it if every single one of you took some time this week and wrote down every single blessing that God had given you. And matter of fact, I, I, I don't mind if you send them to me. If you want to send me your list, I'd love to see your list. Maybe you only get to 20 or 30 or 40, but... I just encourage you, take some time this week and take stock of what God has done in your life and thank him for it and enjoy it. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we love you and we love what you've given us. And God, I repent of the times where I take it for granted. Or God, I, I want more than the manna. I say, God, thanks for this, but can I have some more, please? Instead of just saying, God, thank you for the fact that I have anything in the first place. God, would you convict us today if there's areas where we're not worshiping you because we've gotten so fixated on something else, on the monster of more? God, we repent of that right now, but God, we also ask that you would just give us a supernatural love for what you already have for us for the relationships around us. Help us just to continue, as your word says, to do everything unto you. Help us to worship you with our lives. Help us to worship you with everything we do today. And God, if there's anyone in this place that can hear my sound of my voice that, that has never started a relationship with you, God, I pray that this is the moment where they surrender everything to you and say, God, I want to give you everything. Would you forgive me of my sins? God, thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And how you're working. You are awesome, amazing, and incredible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, let's continue to worship our God together.